Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Ah, welcome to uh, 3CR Living Free on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and with my show co-hosts, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and acknowledge that this land was stolen and sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show, uh, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, my guest today is a compulsive drinker who's recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I'd like to welcome Jasmine to the show. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, Jasmine, you've been on the show before in 2019, uh, so it's great to have you back and to hear more about your recovery journey. But first, what if we go back and just do a quick um, recap of your story? So do you want to sort of talk about growing up and where your life took you? Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Bill. Um, Yeah, so I'll start from the start. I think, um, yeah, I I grew up... um, not in the best circumstances. Um, you know, my father, he was struggling with a heroin and speed addiction. And I think, you know, mum hadn't have, hadn't come from the best background. And, you know, she really was battling her own mental health. So as a little girl, I became an adult very, very quickly. And, you know, my memories really are of taking care of my parents, taking care of my younger brother, Um, you know, I really didn't have much childhood and I think, you know, by the time I did get to school, I didn't really know how to be a kid. Um, it was hard for me to, you know, make friends or have interactions with other kids. Um, you know, I could sense, I was, you know, I felt like I was different, that there was something wrong with me. And I think that, you know, being under that constant stress and worry of, you know, whether, Mum was okay, was dad okay, Um, you know, that made it really difficult for me, um, you know, to be at school. Um, You know, we grew up in a little country town and there were periods where, um, you know, we didn't even have a TV, Um, you know, that was, when was that? It was back in the 90s and, yeah, yeah, and, you know, there was, was, um, you know, Seventh Day Adventist stuff there and um you know so all I had was books to read and I think um you know I was able to sort of find some reprieve through reading or drawing you know I I I found this escapism um thankfully you know it was okay um and you know we moved through schools um and then sort of by the time I got to high school um you know, I started to have issues with food. I had a really difficult relationship with my mum. Yeah. And I was getting bullied a lot. Um, So I didn't go to school very much. I kind of found a way to, 
you know, go to school maybe once a week or once a fortnight and pick up my schoolwork and go home and teach myself, um, you know, when nobody was there. And, um, you know, my dad my dad had left when I was six. So, you know, things had shifted up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a very anxious childhood, very anxious teen years. And, um, yeah, just really trying to figure out, you know, who I was in the world because I don't think, you know, there was no attachment there with, with the family. I think, you know, I had a lot of resentment against my parents and, um, yeah, it was, it was challenging. And, um, I think, yeah, it kind of got to a point where my eating disorder and the relationship with mum hit a pinnacle. And, um, at the age of 15, I left home, um, and I moved in with a friend's family and thankfully her dad was quite supportive of me. And, um, you know, he kind of was the first one to make a suggestion that maybe, you know, I was smart enough to go to university and, um, you know, he did support that journey. Um, and I think that kind of being in that environment, I wasn't really able to go out to parties and drink. Like I did a couple of times and, you know, as soon as I had that first drink, you know, I was a blackout drinker. Um, and I think I was 13 then. Um, you know, and I remember just asking mum, like, what happens if you drink too much? Um, cause I had a really, you know, I end up vomiting and all those sorts of things. Um, but I think that the alcoholism really kicked in for me when I did get to university and I was living on campus and, you know, I was so anxious and I didn't know how to talk to people. And, you know, I was always in that fear cycle of worrying about what people were thinking of me. Um, you know, I had that sort of imposter syndrome where, you know, I felt like I wasn't good enough because I came from, you know, this really poor family and, you know, other other people seemed that, you know, they didn't really have that. Um, but I realised that I could drink really well um, and that kind of um, – it was kind of my gateway into relationships and friendships um, because when I, when I wasn't intoxicated, I really – I just stayed in my room and um, – you know, I just became this big party girl on campus and um, I scraped through that first year of uni and then I did end up with some serious, like, health problems from it um, and was forced to take a year off and then, you know, ended up in a not-so-great relationship. And, um, yeah, so I think that there is that. As much as I wanted to say to myself, you know, I'm not going to relive, you know, my mum's decisions or these sorts of things, you know. Um, I did end up with a person that was similar to my dad and, um, you know, that was really challenging for me. Um, I, I think we're destined to do that. As growing up in an alcoholic situation, You, because uh, the truth is not, a, is not front and centre in, in an alcoholic family. Yeah. And so we tend to gravitate, we tend to become different people we try to please people by being what we think they'll want mm. and it creates this really distorted relationship yeah yeah I think it's very unconscious yeah yeah um but yeah I think um you know it, it's always different when you look at it in hindsight like I think that that relationship also saved me from making some other pretty poor decisions at that point in my life and you know I did end up going back to uni for a period of time um but um, when I was 21, I got a phone call to say that my dad had committed suicide. And, um, yeah, like that, 
that hit me really hard, although he'd been sort of not in my life since I was six years old, um, there was that level of guilt that came up and anger and resentment and, yeah, just a lot of different mixed feelings. And I really didn't have the the support around me to be able to process what had happened. Um, I had enough anger to get out of the relationship I was in. Um, so that was something positive that came out of it. But, um, you know, in order to deal, I did really like, like drugs started to be a part of my story um, at that point in my life. And, um, you know, just anything to escape. And, you know, I ended up dropping out of uni, uni then and um, went into the entertainment industry. And that's sort of where, you know, everything kind of took a turn for the worse because I was in this environment where, you know, the the alcohol and, you know, the drug use that went on was supported. Um, I was around people who drank like me, who partied like me, um, and I somewhat felt normal. I felt like I fit in because, um, you know, when I was sober and around normal people, um, I just felt like I was watching them and I didn't know how they could do life so easy because life felt so hard for me. Um and, you know, that, that sort of just became my way of life up until I was 27 and I had some pretty big traumatic events happen um, around that point in my life and I really hit a rock bottom where, you know, I was unable to provide a living for myself, um, you know, I more or less became homeless um, and it was really that turning point for me where I realised that you know, if I kept going the way that I was, I was going to die. And, you know, it was the first time in my life I'd ever reached out and asked for help. Um, and that's sort of where my recovery journey began. And um, for me, I needed to go to a rehab and I hadn't um, heard of AA at that point. You know, I sort of thought, oh, well, I have all this trauma, you know, I had all these horrible things happen to me. I just need someone to help me with that and everything else will resolve itself. And I ended up in a 12-step rehab um, who told me, no, that's not your problem. Your problem is that you're an alcoholic and, um, you know, maybe you need to have a look at that. And I guess there was sort of this brief moment of sanity that came through me when I first arrived. And, um, and I wrote down, you know, the things that I wanted in my life and it was very evident to me that, you know, if I wanted to have a family, if I wanted to have a partner, if I wanted to have a career that, like, um, I couldn't drink again. And, um, yeah, they took me to an AA meeting and at the time I thought, well, why are you taking me to this meeting with all these men? Like, I'm in an all-women's rehab. What am I doing here? Um, but they, I just remember really vividly that they were reading um, one of the um, books, some of the literature in AA, and I thought, oh, like this is this is what I've been looking for. Like they're actually talking about me, and they're not just telling me what the problem is. They're telling me what the solution is. Like this mm. is what I need. And you know, I'd spent so much of my life. Like, you know, I went through moments of I went to Nepal, I went to India, I went to all these places trying to seek a spiritual experience. And um, unbeknownst to me, it was going to happen in you know <laughs> a room of <laughs> drunks um, that they had the answer for me. Yeah, it's interesting. Can I just take you back to who you asked for help and how you got into rehab? Yeah, so um, I called an old boss, actually, um, but I felt safe enough to disclose my situation to him and we'd sort of had a um, 
he was like a dad to me really um so he had flown from Melbourne up to Sydney and picked me up and then he sort of went through the process of trying to get me into a rehab and you know at that point um there was a waiting list here in Melbourne um so a private rehab was the option for us at that point in time Mm. yeah that's good yeah Uh, Yeah. I think a lot of people I talk to they have one person who'll help them yeah they've got down to sort of one person yeah. Who will help them. And if that person doesn't help them, then, yeah, it's not it's not good. But usually that person does help them. Yeah. And, yeah, they get into recovery. Great. Yeah. 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 Um, so coming into IA then, what, what did you discover about yourself? I discovered a lot of things I didn't want to discover. <laughs> you know, um, I think that uh, – you know, my ego had done kind of – it really did try to keep me safe and protected, um, you know, by not looking at the truth, um, I think, too, because I just – I didn't have the capacity to be able to resolve where I was at. I didn't have the tools. And I think really coming to that realisation that, like, uh, I've got myself this far in my life and now I can't save myself, um, that was really terrifying. And it was really difficult to be able to admit that to myself, that – you know, I'd been so independent and so self-sufficient up until that point and then just to really realise that I couldn't get myself out of that situation, that, like, to keep going the way I was meant that I was going to die, like, that was really terrifying. But I think that I could feel that the people around me did have my best interests at heart and um, people did want to see me get well and I think that actually helped me to be able to get honest with myself as well, um, you know. And it, and I wasn't one of those people who got to come in and, you know, went into their first AA meeting and put the drink down and never drank again. Like, that was not my story. Um, I was still very full of fear and, um, you know, I think that I was just a scared little girl. Um, and, yeah, I had to move through that, through that fear and, you know, I didn't – I didn't want to surrender myself to the program. Like there was still, I guess, that level of distrust. Like I'd felt safety in the room, but um, I didn't want to relinquish Jasmine's control. Yeah. And, um, you know, I did end up, <clears throat> sorry, I did end up picking up, <clears throat> I did end up picking up a drink at nine months and, you know, that for me really showed me the insanity of, you know, I was I was going to meetings two or three times a day, wow. you know. I was just yeah. holding on and, um, you know, had gotten halfway through my steps and then, you know, picked up a drink and, you know, I did wake up the next day and go, oh, well, I really am an alcoholic, right, right, the craziness, the insanity. And, um, you know, I got myself back to a meeting and, and I think that's when I really surrendered. And my surrender was saying, I don't know. You know, I really had to utter those words that I didn't know I didn't have the answers. And, mm. um, you know, I got myself a good sponsor and, you know, somebody who I trusted who could um, take me through the work where I, you know, was terrified of dying. And I knew that, you know, if I if I wanted to live, I had to, I had to go through this process. Yeah, that's, that's a good outcome, isn't it? Okay, uh, awesome. We might take a short break there. Um the first song we've got up is uh, Who Listens to the Radio by The Sports.
stand by the fire. Every Wednesday at 11am, join me, Bunzolini, at the fire on Community Radio 3CR. Three hours of historically informed, critical analysis of Aboriginal affairs and the ongoing political movement for land rights, treaty, sovereignty and the cessation of genocide. Featuring the best of black music. Bundles Fire, 11am to 2pm, every Wednesday on Community Radio 3CR. Welcome back. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, uh, you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. Uh, you can also contact us by phone and email. Uh, today I'm talking with Jasmine and we're talking about compulsive drinking and her recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so Jasmine, before the break we're talking about um, going to meetings um, having a bit of a break and getting back serious into recovery so it's been three and a half years since you're on the show so do you want to tell us a bit about I guess your recovery journey over those three and a half years yeah thanks Bill um, yeah it's been it's been busy it's been a lot um, there's been um, quite a rapid progression I think um you know I think when I came on I would have been maybe a year and a half and you know it it was still three and a half years ago was really still this process of um finding out who I really was and unraveling the parts of myself that were holding me back um and causing me pain so you know I I did go through a process of you know, dipping my toes in um, other 12-step programs as well as, you know, it's it's kind of that whack-a-mole process, I think, yeah. where, you know, I put down one thing over here and then this other thing props up and I want to use something else to change the way that I feel. And, um, you know, ultimately it still left me in just as much pain as um, the alcoholism. So, you know, thankfully I knew that there was programs for this and, um, you know, I st- started to address those things and, you know, I think that getting sober kind of opened the door to um, to the to other things emerging that I'd you know been obviously keeping at bay using the alcohol. So, you know, those things from my childhood had to start to get addressed. Um, the way that I thought about myself needed to be addressed. The way I felt about myself needed to be addressed. And um, you know, I really started to go through this process of learning to love who I am unconditionally mm. um you know and that that's tricky that didn't that that didn't happen just overnight um but I think you know going back to the start like when I made that decision to you know do I do I want to live or do I want to die and when I made that decision like no I, I do want to live and you know if that's the case and I want to live the left the best life that I can and you know, do whatever I need to do in order to achieve that. And, mm. um, you know, that was addressing a lot of the things that was addressing the childhood trauma that was addressing, you know, the alcoholism on a daily basis that was going through a step, um, going through the 12 steps, talking to people, seeing a psychologist, 
really, you know, addressing all of those things. And um, that's, that's set me up in such a good space where, you know, um, you know, I hear in the rooms, people say, you know, like you can have a life beyond your wildest dreams. And, um, you know, I really didn't think that that was possible for me. Um, but I think that, you know, in my experience, it's not about the external, it's, it's resolving the internal. And, you know, Mm -hmm. once that found peace and stillness and acceptance, then the rest of it just became easy. And I started to see how all those people were able to live life when I felt like I couldn't, um, with that inner peace that I found. And, um, that's sort of like, you know, everything was really taken away from me when I had, um, hit my rock bottom, you know, I had no job. I pretty much lost all my belongings. I didn't have a house. You know, I really built, built myself up from, from ground zero. And, you know, I think that as I've gone along, like what's meant for me sort of come through into my life in terms of relationships and opportunities, um, and different people, um, jobs, all of these sorts of things. And, um, you know, but what I've also had is um, this knowing of, you know, what I want in my heart and um, being able to find what's true for me and have enough faith and courage, I guess, to be able to pursue that, even when it feels like, you know, is this actually going to happen? Can I really achieve this? Um, you know, so it's been a process of also taking like healthy risks, yeah. you know. <laughs> Living, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, um, you know, so I made the decision to go back to university and finish off my degree, um, which has been a really great process. You know, I'm like, wow, I can achieve so much more now, (laughs) you know, now that I don't have all this baggage that I'm carrying around and, um, you know, have been fortunate enough to meet a really amazing partner and, um, you know, to start building a life with him. And, you know, we've sort of, you know, had to iron out a lot. And I think it's really like it's one thing doing recovery and, and, and getting sober when you're on your own. But, um, you know, you think, oh, yeah, I'm doing really great. I've addressed all this stuff. Look at me go. And then um, get into a relationship and you're like, oh, what's all this? Where did this it's come tough, from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. So how do you, how do you think having a, having a stable relationship helps your recovery? I don't know if it necessarily helps my recovery. I think that it helps me better be a better person, um, you know, because I was such a hyper-independent, self-sufficient kind of human. Um, you know, the idea of letting someone in and trusting them is terrifying. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I've had to face um, going into a relationship where I'm like, oh, there's still this stuff going on and, um, yeah, I've got to work through this. But it's forced me really to work a program far beyond what I was working because you know every moment of every day is practicing kindness and compassion and forgiveness and acceptance and all these things that you know we might sit around and talk about but um you know being in an intimate relationship forces me to put that into practice on a daily basis in moments when I'm not feeling great when you know I'd rather that there is no human around and there's a human there and I've got to you know show up and 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 do my best and you know some days I don't 
I'm not that great. But, mm. you know, then I've got to practice the other side of it of forgiving myself. And, um, you know, thankfully we've got inventory and these, these types of tools in the program where, you know, I can go and do some self-reflection. I've got other people who work a program in marriages who I can, you know, call up and ask for guidance. You know, I've got this external support where, you know, I can I can learn from other people who you know have done it before me and and that's worth its weight in gold really. Yeah, it's about doing it both, having the compassion both ways on yourself, forgiving yourself for being a bit broken, and also forgiving the other people for being too good. You know, for yeah, <laughs> being too good an example if you like. Um, yeah, I think that's the thing. It's to me, it's it's the ability to accept what is rather than always want something different. Yeah. Just to be comfortable, like that's that's the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, and um, I think it's just accepting the fact that we're human, and like, mm. I wouldn't be here if I was perfect. I would I wouldn't be here, no. you know. And and my human experience is being imperfect, and I think yeah. you know, the longer I go along, like the more acceptance I've got of that in myself and and in others as well, you know. Like we are we are just all doing the best that we can each day with what we've got. Mm. Yeah. So do you want to talk about um, the impact of COVID on meetings and recovery and stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, COVID obviously shook up the entire world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, AA was going to get hit with that too. And and it was, um, it was daunting going from, you know, going to three, four, sometimes five meetings a week at that point, um, seeing people every day that I know. Um, and then you know, having that community and being able to talk to people face-to-face, being accustomed to, you know, always having someone there that, you know, I can, I guess, debrief with and unpack some issues with and, um, you know, have a coffee with at the meeting and, um, yeah, and then suddenly, you know, amongst, you know, this global crisis that's going on, um, I guess my lifeline was cut off and... Um, that was extremely daunting. Like in one sense, I think I thought, okay, well, I've got a program, right? Let's work the program. We've got to work the program. And then, um, you know, AA did really well at adjusting to the current circumstances and, you know, build up an online platform through Zoom really quickly. Um, so we had that opportunity to go there and that felt very different. Um, it felt very flat. Um, you know, and over time, I guess, the Zoom developed and people became more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't feel the – it doesn't feel – it doesn't tickle boxes. It, it can't do what a face-to-face meeting does. Mm. Um, but it really did serve a purpose over the over the COVID times. Mm. So how did you find, I guess, just being isolated and the sort of incidents that happened to you while you were isolated during COVID? Um. For me personally, I was pretty – there was a part of me that was grateful for the experience because what it showed me was that I am not dependent on meetings. I'm dependent on the program that I've got, Mm. my own personal program, and that I've always got someone that I can call up. And that actually, for me, um, helped me really grow in my program and it created a sense of freedom where I didn't feel like I had to be so dependent on this place to go. Um, that actually I, I can stay sober and I've got the tools that I need in order to, to keep going. Um, 
and and I think that my recovery has really changed as a result of that, um, because I don't want to be dependent on anything. Essentially, no, the, no. the the whole purpose of it is to be dependent on you know this higher power of my own understanding, not mm. not on a person, people, places, or things. Mm. Um, but you know, moving forward, now that we do have those meetings again, like obviously, I do feel, you know, the benefits of that. Um, but I'm not dependent on them. Mm. Okay, thanks. Uh, well, listen, we might take another short break. Um, I've got a song. This one's called Computer Games by MySex.
word's out. Freedom of species has hit the airwaves. Tune in for debates and updates on both local and international animal protection news and events and learn about how you can live a cruelty-free, sustainable lifestyle. News, views and non-leather shoes. That's Freedom of Species, 1pm Sundays on 3CR. Authorised by the last few remaining kangaroos, Canberra. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au and we're talking with Jasmine about compulsive drinking and her recovery through AA. Um, So Jasmine, before the break we were talking about what's happened in your recovery over the last few years, um, across COVID and things like that. So now I want to talk about what your life's like now and and I guess the benefit of recovery. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so do you want to fill us in on what life's like? Life is full. Life is full of quality problems, um, as, you know, I've heard said. Um, Given where I was at and where I am now, I wouldn't have thought that, you know, in a five-year period that my life could be what it is today. You know, I feel like I'm in a position where I'm either working towards or have already received so many of those things that I'd written on that list when I'd first gone into rehab. And um, I think that, you know, where I am is a reflection of the work that I've done Um, and that, you know, by putting in the work, um, anything really is possible. Um, You know, I have a beautiful fiancé. We're just in the process of moving into our new home together I'm halfway through my uni degree and, you know, in the process of organising a master's as well, Um, you know, and and talking about starting a family and all those sorts of things, um, which, you know, it still feels daunting, but it feels right, Um, you know, and I have beautiful people in my life. I've got, you know, some amazing mentors. I've got, you know, a beautiful, loyal friendship group. Um, You know, I really do have everything that, you know, I could ever want and, and need as well, um, you know, and still having, you know, a stable support network through the recovery community just keeps me grounded, you know, and, and just remembering to keep my program number one um, because, yeah, like it, it does get busy and then I start running a little bit rough and, you know, I'm reminded that oh, I'm still an alcoholic, right, that like it's not necessarily going to get cured. Um, but you know, I, I do what I need to, to, um, I guess like work with that. Um, and, and it's really like recovery has just been like the gift that keeps on giving, you know, and I think, I really think that as long as my focus is on working these principles of really just being a good human to myself and others, um, you know, and the, and the commitment and the discipline that's come through from my program, um, yeah, like anything has been possible for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess talking about relationships then, so how have you changed in opening up and getting a really close relationship with people? It's a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. But I am also have had to practice a lot of self-compassion towards myself with that because – 
that closeness also brings up, you know, pain. And I have had to start to be more gentle with myself with that because, you know, in those moments, sometimes you, you like, I want to judge myself for that where it's like, oh, you know, this should have been fixed or, you know, these things sort of come up from my unconsciousness or, you know, these old memories. And, um, you know, I just have to deal with that on the spot. But I think that having someone there consistently to reflect back that love and that unconditional support and acceptance back to me um, helps to facilitate the capacity for me to be able to work on my own healing and my own journey with that. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, So have you had to or have you looked at things outside the fellowships to help you? Yeah, psychologist, couples therapy, um, that that was definitely there. You know, we, we did some other modalities through that. But really, I think it really just comes back to that capacity to recognize that really I'm just scared that my actions are driven by fear. And if I can find that space where I can reassure myself or, you know, utilize the concepts in the program around having something there that does love me unconditionally and, and go, no, I, I am safe and I am okay and, you know, don't let the fear dictate these things, that really seems to be the pinnacle of the change. Yeah, and then we've we've sought out um, more somatic modalities as well as a couple for both of us to really go on the healing journey together. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's been really necessary for us. Um, but, yeah, sort of going through a process with somatic work has helped a lot because, um, you know, trauma is held in my body and I need to address that as well. Um, and then seeking out other 12-step fellowships when I've, when I've needed that support and I've needed that insight. So, you know, I have gone to adult children of alcoholics for a period of time. Um, you know, when, when things have come up with my family and in my relationship, um, because, you know, the trickle effect was always to, um, be in control, um, you know, that feeling of instability or somebody not being okay, you know, triggered me to want to control the situation, um, to, I guess, circum, try and circumnavigate the discomfort within myself, um, and, I've also been into Al-Anon as well um, to help me with that. Um, And there's been some really useful tools and conversations and, um, yeah, things that have come out of that program that have helped me as well. I think, um, you know, everything has got something to offer and I think it's just fantastic that, you know, there really is something for everyone in the 12 steps. Yeah. Yeah, I think Al-Anon helps with detaching from other people not getting involved in their lives and not feeling responsible for them. Yeah. Um, letting them be supportive, but yeah, yeah, that's where it stops, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think it's that thing too where I can sit here and I go, yeah, everything is amazing and comparatively it absolutely is. And, you know, if I got a graph, you know, it is still incrementally, you know, it's, it's on the art, but 
it hasn't been without its ups and downs. And I think, you know, like life doesn't come without its ups and downs, you know, and mm. I, you know, that's why I'm so thankful to have a program that helps me get through the ups and downs. Um, I'm still human. I'm still going to have them. And, you know, there has been journeys with like a severe injury. Um, you know, my brother's been battling his own mental health issues, um, which has also led to, you know, um, some challenges there. Um, yeah, and then obviously all the madness that happened in COVID, um, job losses, all those things. Um, but I think overall, like, I've found a, enough stability and enough capacity within myself to be able to ride out the waves. Um, whereas, you know, prior to coming into recovery, I didn't have those tools and I didn't have the capacity to do that. So, you know, my solution to the discomfort or the feelings of powerlessness um, was really to seek it in in an escape, um, something to numb the feelings and to numb the pain. Whereas, you know, today I think um, I do say to my sponsees, I'm like, you know, recovery is all about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And then once you're comfortable with that, it doesn't get so uncomfortable. Um which, yeah. which is, yeah, being really good. Yeah, that's good. So do you want to talk a bit more about sponsorship, both being sponsored and sponsoring others? Yeah, so um, what's great is that there, you know, it's kind of like an ice cream shop and there's a flavour for everyone. Um, you know, there's such a huge cross-section of people that come into the rooms. You know, alcoholism doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter about what your childhood was. It doesn't matter about how much money you do or don't have. None of that matters. Um, and so it gives a lot of opportunities to find somebody who is suitable, um, in terms of finding a sponsor, you know, somebody who you feel safe with, um, and has a relatable story. And so I've had a number of sponsors and I've done the steps a number of times, um, with different sponsors. That's something that I've really needed to do, um, because I've seen, you know, I've gone to greater depths within myself each time I've done that. Um, yeah. And then as a sponsor, um, you know, I've also sponsored a variety of people. Um, I think in my experience, it's about, you know, for me being vulnerable and speaking my truth and, you know, there's been people who have related to that and, um, you know, I've been able to support them through their difficulties and, you know, there's, I don't think there is anything better than seeing somebody's life completely change you know, and then the ripple effect of them getting um, sober and, you know, having this incredible experience and then watching their whole family heal around them. Like, I I honestly don't think that there's something better than that, Mm. you know, and it it really is such a selfless thing. Like when I came into the rooms, I thought, what does this person want from me? Why are they talking (laughs) to me? You know, I just thought everybody wanted something. Um, And then it really wasn't until I had my own experience of sponsoring that I realized, oh, no, these people just care like Mm. they're not here for anything else other than to help me out and it's so Mm. genuine it's so pure um but yeah it wasn't until I really had my own experiences of that that I thought oh I get it now yeah I understand when they talk about it you know when we when we have our step 12 about carrying this message and yeah yeah so do you want to talk about the range of people that have sponsored you sort of the experience the age the genders yeah yeah, so, I mean, we do, like, there is a general message that, you know, we have women for women and men for men. Um, when I first came into the program, I had female sponsors, um, you know, some older women. 
Um, yeah, just women. I, I was at that point where I'm like, anybody who's going to sponsor me, I'm just going to take it yeah. because I, <laughs> I need to do these steps because I need to sort myself out. Um, but I've also had, um, you know, a younger male sponsor me um, and I've had um, another male sponsor me around the same age as me. Um, and I got a lot out of those processes as well. Um, I think that we were both uh, mature enough to go, these are obviously clear boundaries and this is what the relationship is, sponsor, sponsee. Um, but, yeah, that, that was good for me. I needed that. And, you know, I've also – I currently have a male sponsee, um, which has also been a really healing experience for me because it's been so nice to really level it out and go, we are just all human, you know, mm. we are just trying to do the best that we can. And I think that ultimately we do deep down all just have the same needs and wants and we all want to be loved, accepted and appreciated um, and feel like we belong in the world. And um, I think it's been nice to see that there is no differentiation there. You yeah. know, we just, you know, socially and culturally dress things up a little bit different, but ultimately it's the same underneath it all. Yeah. So what are your plans for the future? Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, just keep working through my studies. Um, you know, the the dream for a long time has been to work in human rights and international law and, and sort of take things in that direction. Um, but, yeah, I guess that's, you know, I just keep chipping away at it and um, what's meant to be will be. Yeah. Have a family maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, be a mum. <laughs> give back give back in all different capacities and I think you know like that's that's the thing like I constantly ask myself like how can I be of maximum service to to the world mm. you know and and that that process is of bettering myself as an individual and um you know seeking out opportunities to be of service and yeah see what like what am I good at what's my gifts what's my talents and and how can I use that mm. So the other thing we often sort of talk to people about is, you know, what would have helped you at the different times when you could have been helped? What would have been the most help? Sorry, can you repeat that? So looking back on your life and thinking about when there were opportunities to help you, you know, in life. Yeah. What would have been the, the things that would have helped you to get off alcohol and start recovery earlier? That question really hits me because I think as I've gotten older and um, have had a bit of time, I, I look back on my life and what I wish I had have had was an adult, a mature adult who had have stood by me mm. because I honestly think that mm. just having one adult in my life who I could call up and ask for advice and some guidance would have changed the trajectory of my life. And, you know, I can't say what would have happened, yes or no, but I, I feel that if that had have been there, there is a huge potential for things to have turned out differently and that not to have been the course that it took for so long as it did. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people would say exactly the same thing. Mm. Having a stable relationship with somebody they trust is very beneficial, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um so is there anything else you'd like to say before we finish? No, I think no. I think you covered it well. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. Well, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can find them in Australia on 1300 
222222 or you can jump online at aa.org.au for more information and um, details of um, recovery uh, recovery info and meetings. Um, so that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Jasmine for sharing her alcoholism recovery story with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous helped her in her recovery. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. No worries. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking with Dr. Nico Clark, the medical director at the medically supervised injecting room in North Richmond, about the impact of the facility. Uh, coming up next, we have Balanoir, the Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Telgum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in the Spirit of War on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.